and next month we will be looking at resilience. So uh, I, I wanted to add uh, one idea to this talk that I didn't put in already, an idea that for me was the big takeaway of what I wrote, that integrity matters in the context of belonging to each other. When we lie, like the uh, boy and the wolves, uh, we, we um, break trust. And then only if others forgive us will we be able to mend that break. So I hope eventually the community will forgive the kid for what he said and did and the lies that he told. And about the bowl with its uh, brokenness, it was reassembled and patched with, with glue and gold, but it did not mend itself. Somebody else did the work. There were other hands involved. And as for me, in the two incidents that I'm going to share in the talk that I wrote, um, other people were needed for me um, to heal and to make amends. For this, I am grateful. And their generosity is a great part of my life as I'm living it now. So no matter whether our integrity, that is our wholeness, is in its original form or is now comprised of shards repositioned and held together with gold and glue, which I like to think of from the human perspective as kindness, intention, compassion, and self-compassion, compassion for the suffering of others. Integrity has service as its purpose. Clearly, the goal of a bowl is to hold, and thus, in its original state or mended, it performs the service for which it was designed. From early on, some among us have recognized the shape of their integrity and known how it would translate into service when they grew up. But we have learned through the wisdom of aging, we can't always know what it is about us, including our shards and broken pieces, that will at some time serve a purpose. We often can't predict or control how what we say or do will impact someone else for good or ill, though we always aim for good. As you heard in the reading Kintsugi that Alice shared, the careful repair of broken pots with glue and gold symbolizes and implies a reconciliation with what is broken, imperfect, and scarred. There is no attempt to disguise the damage, but to make the fault lines beautiful and strong. Karen Loomis wrote in her introduction to that exhibit, in an age where youth, perfection, and novelty are worshipped, the art of kintsugi is as applicable to our modern lives as it is to a broken bowl. The care and love expended on mending things should lead us to recognize, respect, and value what is damaged and scarred, vulnerable and imperfect, in ourselves, 
in each other and especially in our planet. What does it take to mend what is damaged and scarred, vulnerable and perfect, at least in ourselves? That is what I want to talk about. And for me, the answer to that question is someone willing to be encouraging, willing to look beyond our past failures, my past failures. And the simple but painful example I want to talk about first has to do with making art. It has become for me a powerful metaphor, an example of having taken a flaw of my own and used it to make beauty in flawed authenticity. You see, for most of my life, I faced artistic creation that didn't involve language, and all I felt was panic. Maybe when I was small, a small, playful self, my creativity was disparaged. You're outside the line. Her face isn't purple. It can't be like that. It's not the way it's done. So it has only been recently, very recently, that I would even risk a situation where I might be urged to play with color, shape, or line, whatever others might call art. Yes, I was practically phobic about art, despite enjoying sculpture, photography, and painting in museums or private collections. But I got brave about a year or so ago, asking my friend, artist Rachel Wynne Yon, whose memorial is today at one in the San Luis Obispo Museum of Art, if I could try my hand at art with her. I sat across the long brown paper-covered art table in Rachel's living room, and under her tutelage, which was really not lessons as much as it was encouragement, I grappled with my resistance and fear of creating art. Watercolor did not become my metier, nor acrylic, nor oil, nor pastel, not crayons, or colored pens, or pencils, although I tried everything. Rachel urged me to play at everything, everything short of performing Jackson Pollock spatters on the floor of her living room. Eventually, I found art tearing paper. Indeed, Rachel declared that I was the best paper terror she had ever met in her long artistic career. And so I sat across from her Tuesday mornings, creating collages on stiff white 10 by 12 paper. Shredding calendars, I tore long trees from October, glued them against ripped April clouds, snuggled into clear blue bits of September skies, so many scraps of greeting cards, envelopes, magazines, lettering, plastic bees, bottle tops, golden Buddhas, Tibetan stamps. Allison, you really tear paper better than anyone I have ever seen. And I felt encouraged taking her at her word, knowing how strong were her opinions, some of which must be right. Yes, I could create art and take pleasure in the process. 
I took one of my Buddha collages, the one that said, breathe, in big black letters torn from Lion's Roar magazine, and had it made into a tote bag I gave Rachel in appreciation. What always surprised me about our collaborations, I'll call it that, was how our chatting and sometimes tea drinking took place on one level, while I was interacting with color and shape, at the same time on a wordless level that could coexist with talk about Rachel's great-grandson, baby William, or a story that she particularly loved about the week my almost two-year-old grandson, Brody Bear, lobbed a Tonka truck in my direction and then said, Sorry, Grandma. That was Rachel's favorite story of my grandson. As we would near the end of our art time, Rachel might take a finished collage of mine, which I just happened to have with me, and um, with all the pieces freshly pasted in place, and she would hold it, turn it upside down or, or sideways, and surprise us both with what had been created. I hope she knew how indebted I felt for the time we spent together. And I do believe those collages were healing expressions of my flawed authenticity. It was because of Rachel's encouragement that I was able to explore an unlived part of myself, a part that frightened me that I wouldn't go into. So let's take encouragement as the through line, because I'm going to go back from the recent past, back from Rachel's house in Los Osos, back to 1972, when I was in my early 30s, and I'm going to tell that at that moment, what moment exactly, I knew I wanted to make amends for the life I had been living, and I realized that my life lacked integrity, and I wanted to change. So it was in Redondo Beach in February of 1972. I am 33, I think. In 1971, I had flown back to California from Japan, bringing with me a youngest son born in Tokyo, leaving behind a husband and two other sons, eight and ten, imagining that they would eventually want to live with me rather than with their father, who was doing business in Asia. But upon arriving in California, I didn't choose a lifestyle that would accommodate those children, and the youngest one was not behaving very well in the circumstances I was providing for him. So there I was in February of 72, and I stood on Blossom Lane, in Redondo Beach, in front of a tiny wooden shack-like house, positioned on a huge lot with a pergola in the backyard and a for-sale sign. Exactly then, I determined to stop doing what I was doing a lot of, none of which I was particularly proud, and buy that house so that I could undertake responsibility. For that purpose, I asked my mother and I asked my father, and they were divorced, and they each had remarried. 
if they would trust me enough to lend me $5,000 each for the down payment on the house. This was back in 72, so. My father said yes, but my mother said no. She and her husband were sure that I was too irresponsible. They pointed to a history of bad decision-making. You, she said, give us no reason to believe that you will or can repay this money. So no. Although there was some truth in that assessment of the me who had left my marriage and two children behind, was living in a commune, didn't have a steady job, having to substitute teach due to a bad job market at the time. But I was asking to be trusted. I was committed to becoming responsible, to being a person of integrity. My parents' willingness to take a chance on me, their oldest daughter, was key to whatever would come next. Despite mother's refusal, father was persuaded to trust me for the full amount, charging 10% interest, and I was able to establish myself, make a real home for that three-year-old youngest son I had brought back with me from Japan. And at that time, I was not a Unitarian Universalist, nor did I have much insight into what motivated me, but I was attending a church in Redondo Beach on occasion, and it was on one of those occasions that a former minister of that church, who was then a realtor, offered to negotiate the purchase of this, my first house. What I didn't know about the property was that it was zoned R2. And those of you who know real estate know that that means that two residences can be built on that property that I bought for $40,000. But that is another story albeit a happy one, that this responsible woman would eventually take advantage of. As for becoming a person of integrity, yes, it was the beginning for me. I have to find the next page. I didn't number everything. As for becoming a person of integrity, yes, it was a beginning for me. Not a complete turnaround, maybe. I did commit acts of thoughtfulness that hurt people who loved me, acts for which I would need to make amends, but, and, I had the intention to live with integrity. I had the intention to live with integrity and the willingness to learn what that meant it is clear to me that living with integrity is not a once you've got it, everything is okay. There will be mistakes, and some will leave deep, hurtful scars, as did my mother's inability to take a chance on my redemption. But before this talk concludes, and we sing the final hymn, extinguish the chalice, take our neighbor's hands, I want to share what I discovered while linking the topic of integrity to seeing beauty in flawed authenticity. Because my friend, Rachel Winyon, encouraged me to explore a long-held belief that art was not in me, I moved into a new relationship with creativity and overcame what had been a conviction that I couldn't. She did not hold it against me 
that I had not succeeded in the past at doing art. And back in 1972, as regards that house on Blossom Lane, I knew it would not belong to me, that I would not have a place for my two older sons to live with me after I had left them and my husband in Japan, nor a safe place to bring up a third little boy. If my father chose, as my mother had, to turn his back on me, convinced I was neither capable of becoming trustworthy nor a person of integrity because I had not been one in the past. Because others believed, I became more than I had been. This month we have chosen to emphasize integrity, and next month, as I said, we will explore resilience. But I want to conclude about this month's choice of emphasis with words from author Howard Zinn. I took a class on communication yesterday, and the teacher said, um, pausing is good. <laughs> so, he'd be proud. <laughs> Howard Zinn wrote this. What we choose to emphasize will determine our lives. If we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act and at least the possibility of sending this spinning top of a world in a different direction. If we do act in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presents. And to live now as we think human beings should live, in defiance of all that is bad around us, is itself a marvelous victory. And to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is itself a marvelous victory. And in honor of our victory, let it be a dance we do, which you will find in the gray hymnal, 